is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Guess what people are doing again? They're hoarding toilet paper. Remember that was a thing Uh, early on? Uh, It's back, so we're going to ask, what's wrong with people? America, what is with you? (laughs) Uh, New research could put your mind at ease if you're worried about the vaccines supposedly wearing off. CDC has another travel warning for the holiday weekend. Applies mostly to a certain group of people. We've talked about how the pandemic has led many people to quit their jobs. Now we'll talk to someone who did it to see how it's going. We start with toilet paper. Costco back with restrictions. Doug Baker, vice president of industry relations at FMI, the Food Industry Association, representing companies across the food marketplace. So Doug, uh, kind of seems like it depends on where you go. Fully stocked at some places, but uh, what's going on? Yeah, it's uh, it's sort of similar to what we were experiencing in March of 2020. It's it's uh, where is uh, consumer response to the pandemic, uh, to a crisis? Um, you know, the fires out west, the hurricane out east; those all have major influences on on consumer uh, buying behaviors and. The supply chain, you know, the challenges that we're feeling in the supply chain are really a confluence of several um, attributes uh, that are that are affecting that from, you know, ingredients and materials to transportation and trucking. Of course, labor is really at the base of all of that. And and we're still it's really difficult not to get a job in the grocery industry all along the supply chain. We're looking for uh, 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 people that are willing to come to work in the industry and, and get full employment. Do you think Costco gets hit particularly hard if people feel like they need to make a run on something? I'm going to go to Costco because I know I can get 50 of them anyways. And if I'm stocking up on my toilet paper, oh boy, I'm going to go there. Yeah, you know, Costco just in its strategy in itself is a great place to go and get large packs, something that you're probably only going to need a month at a time. So if there is a concern, if that's the reason why you've gone to Costco, then, you know, um, adding an additional uh, case of toilet paper, or, uh, that might be something that you do just so you know you don't have to go back. And, and the Delta variant hasn't been helpful. You know, people are, are you know, feeling a little bit of anxiety again, about 53% of of uh, respondents to a recent survey that we had are, are feeling anxiety as it relates to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And the, they, they, they don't want to be out in public and in stores as, as often as those that don't have a concern. But I know we asked this question a year ago now. What is it with the, <laughs> What's Amer- wrong with, people? <laughs> with the American obsession with toilet paper? It seems like no matter what the, the crisis is, it could be a fire, an earthquake, the, the immediate reaction is, let's go and stock up on toilet paper. Yeah, I guess the the alternative is using newspaper or a magazine. And, I, you know, I personally haven't done that, but I don't know that that's what feels. <laughs> yeah. That's an appetizing thing to do, right? I don't know that anybody wants to have to use those. (laughs) The fear in our heads. Uh, Doug Baker, Vice President, Industry Relations, FMI. Um, can people not work off the stockpile they have from last go around? There's still closets full. <laughs> well, either that or they've used it all up, and that raises other issues. It's a medical issue. <laughs> the case for vaccine booster shots might be getting weaker. New research showing your body can still fight off a COVID infection, even if your antibody levels are on the decline. It's because of T-cells. Dr. John Waring with the University of Pennsylvania, author of new research. So, doctor, we have a lot more going for us in our battle with COVID than just the antibodies, right? 
Sure. You can think about this as sort of a two-layer defense. Um, your antibodies are really kind of like a shield or a force field or, uh, around you, and they prevent the virus from basically getting into any of your cells. Um, so they're the first line of defense. But if your antibodies go down a little bit, um, uh, you have a virus that may evade antibodies, you've got this backup plan of memory T cells and even some memory B cells. Now, what happens is if you do get a little bit of uh, virus coming through or your antibodies go down and you get a few cells infected, those memory T cells and memory B cells kick into action really quickly. They suppress that viral replication and they can eradicate the virus relatively quickly. Now, the difference in those two scenarios is the first one may prevent you from ever getting infected. The second one prevents you from developing severe disease. So you may get a little bit of infection for a couple of days. You may actually even feel the infection and have some mild symptoms, but you won't progress to severe disease. For example, the virus won't go from your nose down into your lungs uh, to really cause that, that COVID-19 uh, severe symptoms that ends up with people in the hospital and people dying. So that's really what we're seeing. We're seeing the vaccines may be waning in their effectiveness from preventing infection, but they're not really waning very much in their ability to prevent severe disease, hospitalization, and death. And I suspect that it's too soon to know how long the T and B cells memory will last. Yeah, that's right. We don't yet know. Um, we just have our first hints of data, uh, high quality data for that out to about six to eight months. Um, it does look like the memory T cells are doing pretty well. They may be declining a little bit. The memory B cells look even better. So these are cells that have the same gene as the cells that make your antibodies. Those memory B cells, though, only make antibodies when they're called into action a second time. So those look actually remarkably durable over time. Um, we don't yet understand how much each of these components contributes to protection from disease on their own. Um, but we have some good positive hints that you're going to have some level of long-lasting immunity uh, for some parts of the immune system. On the scale of surprising to expected, where do we fall? And I guess it is expected we lose the antibodies because we do it with everything, right? If we kept those for everything we encountered, our blood would be like, you know, molasses, right? And then we'd die anyways. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we typically do see antibodies declining over time. There are some vaccines where antibodies last for, for many years, but they generally decline over time. Um, you you generally do see memory T cells and memory B cells sticking around for quite a long period of time. Now, when you're in a race with a virus, it's all about numbers. So really, we don't know where that threshold is, that when you fall below the threshold, now you're susceptible to disease. So we do still have some work to do, but this is kind of an expected set of characteristics for a good immune response. Okay, so let's sort of uh, look at it from a clinical point of view now. Uh, and let's take it uh, at a micro uh, point of view at, at that. Uh, so if you're someone who's 60 or 65 and older and you've had your full vaccination, uh, maybe back in December, February, December, January, February, that sort of thing, uh, we're hearing from the White House come September 20th, in all probability, you will be eligible for a booster. Does that segment need it? Yeah, I think this is a really important question for all of us. Now, um, there, we think about all of this on a risk-benefit kind of seesaw. What's on the risk side? What's on the benefit side? On the risk side here, um, you know, our, our serious adverse events with vaccination are extremely rare. And if you didn't have them after the first two doses, your chances of having an adverse event after the third dose are, are even lower. Um, so the risk side is, you know, pretty tolerable. What's the benefit? 
the benefit is likely that you're going to top off those antibodies for another maybe six to eight months. Um, are we going to need a booster then every six to eight months? Well, that really depends on how the pandemic evolves over time. If you're, you know, uh, of older age, uh, you got your vaccine, you know, six to eight months ago, what should you be thinking about going into the fall? Well, kids going back to school, Delta is still quite high. We're going to see some events that sort of very likely are going to lead to more Delta over the next couple of months. Would it be a good idea to just sort of top off the tanks to get through the fall and then hope that the rest of the pandemic starts to get under control as we head into the late winter and spring? Maybe not a bad idea. Is this something where we should be starting a mass booster campaign? I still think that our best bang for our buck in the public health arena is getting unvaccinated people vaccinated. They're the ones that are spreading. They're the ones that are fueling the pandemic. Dr. John Waring directs the Penn Institute of Immunology, Perlman School of Medicine, University of Pennsylvania. The CDC says if you are not vaccinated, you should not travel over the long Labor Day weekend. It even urges caution for people who are vaccinated. Yeah, how risky is it? Dr. William Schaffner with us again, professor of preventative medicine, infectious diseases at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. So, doctor, uh, sitting here, we're not sure if people who didn't follow the advice to go and get their shots are going to follow this advice not to go anyplace. Uh, are we off the mark with that one? <laughs> no, I don't think you are, Mike. I don't think there are too many people who are going to be motivated to uh, stay at home just because the CDC is concerned about the spread of COVID. If you're not a mask person and you're not a vaccinated person, you're going to be out there anyway having fun, I'm afraid. Okay, so uh, speaking, for example, as, as someone who is vaccinated, I know uh, Michael over here is. So if if we happen to be traveling, say, and we find ourselves on a bus, plane, train, whatever, with one of those people, what do we do? <laughs> well, the first thing, if you're in any kind of crowded circumstance, such as in a conveyance, such as a train or a plane, you've got to keep your mask on. And then you try as much as possible to keep your social distancing, Charles. That's what you do. And use good hand hygiene and uh, get away from that crushed, uh, environment as quickly as possible. How concerned are you that we're going to see another uptick in some places after the holiday weekend when people inevitably do mix and go places? Because in some areas, we're, we're starting to see a little bit of a slight, you know, decrease. Things are looking better than they were, still bad. Um, but we could just do it to ourselves all over again after this. Uh, well, this holiday is going to stir the mix a little bit. And I think we will have not nationally, perhaps, but localized outbreaks and increases here and there across the country, depending upon who was close to whom for how long. Uh, that's invariably going to happen, I think. Let me uh, drag you into the booster versus non-booster uh, debate for a minute, if I can. Uh, we just did on our uh, segment before, mm -hmm. uh, we talked about how while the antibodies may be waning, the B cells and the T cells, they're all there waiting to hopefully pounce on the coronavirus if it does manage to infect a vaccinated person, which, of course, leads to the question, you have the White House saying uh, the 20th of September, and from then on, uh, the general public will probably be able to get boosters, provided the FDA approves. But have you seen any data that would back the reason for having a, a booster at this point in time for anyone? 
Well, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is looking at this, and they presented just Monday in an open meeting uh, some data to uh, support the notion that antibodies are slowly declining. And obviously, we've had an increase in breakthrough cases, but not in patients hospitalized, except in one study, it did appear that people like 75 and older were at increased risk of hospitalization uh, over time. So the data, I would say, are not compelling, but the Washington interpretation is, let's get ahead of this. Let's not wait for people to be hospitalized who are vaccinated. Let's give them a boost now. We've got plenty of vaccine. I don't know how the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices is going to come out. I think they'll focus on high-risk people, particularly nursing home residents and people who work in healthcare. They were the first to be vaccinated, and they're both at high risk. Dr. William Schaffner, Professor of Preventative Medicine, Infectious Diseases, Vanderbilt University School of Medicine. Coming up after a short break, what is happening to all those people quitting their jobs? We'll ask one who did. The pandemic has had a lot of people quitting their jobs. As we said earlier, we've gone over that, but we haven't actually heard from someone who up and quit their job, then made a drastic and unexpected career change. Jessica Talata did. She went from retail to engineering and talks to KYW's Matt Leon. I was in retail management for 12 years before the pandemic. And what are you pursuing now? I am in engineering. Um, I work at an engineering firm and I am currently in school for engineering. That's quite a transition. Was this, how did this come about? Was engineering always something that had interested you or was in the back of your mind? Uh, was it something you watched something, talked to someone and you just kind of haven't had an epiphany? How did it come together? It's always been an interest of mine. I was very interested in it as soon as I found out what it was. Uh, I've always been very into science. Um, I've always been very into fixing things. I've wanted to go to school for engineering for basically my entire life, but I never had a chance to. I grew up very poor. Um, I didn't have an option to go to college. And a lot of my life was struggling. So it took till I felt comfortable to make the change. Was this something that the pandemic kind of led to a moment where you kind of took a self-checklist or kind of reassessed and said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, this is going to, this has to be the time? It, it could have been, yes. Um, partly because work did get a lot harder during the pandemic in retail management. It had always taken a toll on me uh, physically and mentally. And during the pandemic, it got really crazy. And thinking back on it now, it could have been something that I, in the back of my head, I was thinking like, we might not have a lot of time on this world. So what am I doing right now? I'm not happy. I guess, how scary was that? I mean, even if you don't like a job, I think we've all had crappy jobs at one time or another, but there is a certain comfort in familiarity, uh, stuff like that. And what you're doing is a big pivot. How Was it scary or was it just, we're doing this and we're going to make it work? 
it, it was extremely scary. I feel like that is the reason why a lot of people don't pursue what they want to do. And exactly like you said, it's a lot of familiarity. They're stuck in one spot. They're scared. So it takes a lot from you to get past the fear and go for what you want. And I don't know, I did it. <laughs> what was the reaction from friends and family when you told them what you were going to do? They were all extremely supportive. Um, my husband, especially, he, uh, we had to sit like, cause one college costs money. I know we were more comfortable right now, but college costs money. So that was one conversation we had to have. That was like maybe uh, like a year before I did the job change. When the job change happened, we, you know, had to sit down, go through all our finances, come up with a budget because originally the job that I took was part time. So I was going from a 45 hour work week to 30 hours. And it was a little bit of a pay cut, but I really wanted to do it. And he had my back 100%. So we sat down, figured it all out, out and it just it ended up working out in the end. My friends were super supportive, like, cause they just, they knew what I went through. I was never available to go to things with them or hang out with them. I was always working nights, overnights, sometimes 50, 60 hours a week. My family felt the same way. So when they heard I wanted to do it, like, of course they were maybe a little apprehensive, like, wow, that's a big change. But they were like, if you really want to do it, go for it. We got you. So yeah. <laughs> How much? Do you think you would have been able to make this move without that support? I guess it depends on each person. I feel like I need support to make decisions and changes. So if I if I didn't have that, type, honestly, maybe I didn't have that type of support before. And maybe that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> but I have that support now. Um, and I, I think for me, it was a big part of the process. Uh, I think for some people, they could do it on their own if they're they put their minds to it. So let's talk about what you're doing now. Uh, you said you're working at an engineering firm and going to school for engineering. Um, what are you, when you work, what's the job entail in kind of broad strokes? Uh, I originally got hired on as a project administrator. So we have these things called uh, requests for information and submittals. They're from jobs like for like my firm to answer questions about and like fix the signs over so I was in charge of like uh, distributing those submittals and RFIs to our engineers and our design team and then getting them back and sending it to the clients. And nowadays they, they put me on for full time, which is great. Definitely help with the finances. <laughs> and I have like a sort of a cross position. It's I'm still project administrator, but they also gave me a title uh, mechanical coordinator, which is, um, I do a lot of the calculations under review by the engineers, of course, and I basically get to work under them. I get to see what they're doing. I get to listen to the conversations. I get to observe. I schedule surveys, do punch lists, all sorts of things like that. How often are you going to class? Um, I was doing full time, so I was doing five classes. I think I'm going to calm down a little bit <laughs> and try three and see how that goes. I did fine. I, I am in high honors. Uh, I'm on the president's list. Uh, my GPA is a 3.87, but working 40 hours a week and 
doing five classes, it's it's rough. And uh, a lot of the people that I work with even said like, girl, you, you had a lot of determination and that, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> Where are you going to school? Delaware County Community College. I would imagine even, you know, cutting the classes back a little bit, the amount you're working, the amount of classes, a lot of long days, or is it still even less than some bad weeks in retail management? Yeah, it could. Yeah. And I think, honestly, it's easier than some of the things I had to deal with in retail management. To that point, though, do any of the skills that you sharpened doing in your retail career, do they help in what you do now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm basically a master at follow-up organization. Um, I actually, I used the strengths that I had from uh, my retail management experience. And that's what I put in my original email uh, when I applied to my current job. And I said that I think that my strengths in retail management could transition easily into an administrative position. Um, and I think they took a liking to it because they interviewed me and hired me. So, Am I correct? There's a scholarship from Lockheed Martin that has helped to, to facilitate your, your time in school? Yes, very much. It was amazing. I applied for that scholarship. I got it. I'm so honored to get it. It's Lockheed Martin. They're huge. They gave out tons of scholarships to people this year. They give it out to, it doesn't matter what background you have. You could be me. You could be a woman in STEM. You could be somebody who didn't have the best life growing up. Maybe you don't have a lot of money and they're, they're looking for the best people. It doesn't matter where your background is, who you are. They want your smarts. They want your innovation and your passion. And yeah, I, I was so overwhelmed with joy getting the scholarship. And the firm you're working for, is it Lockheed affiliated or is it just the scholarship was through Lockheed Martin? The scholarship was just through Lockheed Martin. Um, I work for Advanced Engineering Inc. Uh, they're located in Media PA. How, I mean, life is life and you kind of take it day by day. Do you ever take a step back and just kind of think of the journey you've taken since 2018, 2019 and how different life is and it seems just in talking to you how much more fulfilling everything is yeah, uh, every day it someday sometimes i think about it and i'm like is this a dream like i can't believe this is happening i have like a huge step up with the lockheed martin scholarship that pays for so much school at delaware county community college it helps me a lot with my finances so i don't have to worry about that I have my job and I'm getting on the job experience while I'm in school. I have a huge like leap. It's just, it's amazing. Like what I'm, you know, what has happened with me and I appreciate every day. <laughs> when it's all said and done, what would be the top of the mountain for you as far as a job, you know, as you really get acclimated and kind of see all the opportunities is there something that would be kind of the dream job in, in engineering for you? My dream job would definitely be working on spaceships, uh, some type of space thing, which is cool because Lockheed Martin, <laughs> even my scholarships, that, you know, maybe they'll have a little file on me <laughs> for later. But I, I've been thinking a lot about like what I do now, which is construction engineering. And I am super fulfilled in what I do with that as well. They, take part in like huge high-rise buildings giant projects like 
the police headquarters in Philly. And it's just amazing work, what I do now. Um, originally, my dream, though, was work something with space. A woman from Illinois was planning to go on a nice vacation in Hawaii. She is not vaccinated and didn't feel like going through the state's 10-day quarantine for unvaccinated visitors. She thought she'd try to outsmart the system. She showed a fake vaccine card, which got officials suspicious because Moderna was misspelled. <laughs> An A was used where the O should have been. Moderna. Yeah. Well, also the card stated she had been vaccinated in Delaware by the National Guard, but there were no records of her vaccination in the state. Well, she slipped past officials upon arriving, but they caught her as she returned to the airport. They say she told them she got the vaccine card from her doctor after paying for the vaccination, but the vaccination is free. She was charged with falsifying vaccination documents. That's like multiple ways to get the story straight. Yeah. And it was completely wrong at each pass. Right. I mean, wow. <laughs> All right. This is an Odyssey original. I wonder if they checked her IQ. <laughs> you can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.